One of the most powerful ways a leader can connect with others is through storytelling. But it can be hard to understand how you apply that to your everyday leadership approach, especially if you're someone who is a number or action orientated person. But storytelling is at the heart of great strategy and is how the most impactful leaders take people with them. I'm Lee Griffith, a communications strategist, executive coach and all-round champion of leaders who shun the old school stereotypes. I'm here to help you get clear on your strategy, implement some self-leadership and connect with those you serve through your communications so that you can deliver improved organisational performance, engagement and reputation. Sign up to my newsletters to receive even more useful insights into how to be an impactful leader. You can also find out how I can support your organisation to better connect with the people it serves. Visit sundayskies.com to find out more. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be talking with Janet Murray, an expert in storytelling and that all-important connection to business strategy. Janet's a former journalist and now supports businesses to be more strategic in the content they produce. She's a podcaster, international speaker and creator of the Courageous CEO Strategic Business Planner and Resource Kit. We talk about the role of storytelling in leadership, how you can identify and use the great stories in your organisation to connect people with your vision, and how this all fits into your personal communication strategy. Enjoy. So I'm delighted to welcome Janet Murray to this episode of Leaders with Impact podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm going to jump straight in. I think a lot of today's conversation is going to focus around storytelling and the role it has in leadership. And I don't know about the people you've worked with, but I've certainly come across quite a few in my career who've hated the idea of telling stories because in their mind, they run a serious business and they think that telling a story is either they need to make something up or they think it's belittling or dumbing down the kind of really serious stuff that they're trying to achieve. So to kick us off, I'm interested in what you define as storytelling when it comes to that business and leadership context. Well, I think the first thing I would say is a lot of people intellectualize storytelling and people who, for example, sell that as a service to companies and they can make it into this kind of big thing, like we're going to teach you about storytelling. And actually overcomplicate it. So for me, it's just about being relatable. And it's just about showing up as authentically as you can, being you. But obviously, if you're working in a corporate setting, that might be you through a sort of professional work lens. But I think we've all been to an event and we've listened to someone talk who we can tell they have great expertise, but we're asleep within Mm. five seconds. (laughs) We've all been to a meeting at work with somebody who is a leader, but they're not an inspiring leader. And often it comes down to that ability to just be relatable, to think about how you can create connection, how you can create common ground, and also how you can be human. So when people talk about storytelling as a thing, I'm kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that because... For me, it's just about how can you be more relatable? How can you be more human? How can you show up as you within a professional setting? That doesn't mean airing your dirty washing or sharing your personal secrets, but it's just about like bringing you to the table. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think as you were talking there, I was getting flashbacks of horror of death by PowerPoint that many people think that that's what they need to do to convey the message and actually that isn't what this is about at all is it yeah and 
even just on that subject itself, um, I remember <laughs> I used to do, I've always done a lot of speaking because my career trajectory has been, I was a, a teacher, then I was a journalist, and then I ended up running my own business. And so I've always been a really confident public speaker. Like I can get up and talk about anything, really happy to do that. I think I probably was okay in terms of being engaging, but it wasn't until I actually invested in doing public speaking training that I saw the difference between not even death by PowerPoint, but just like okay talking over slides basically and someone who could give a polished keynote talk. And if you're working in an organization, that doesn't mean that you have to go off and have public speaker training and then be doing these kind of like earth shattering keynote talks. But one of the key things that I learned about that was not not to use slides, but to use as few slides as possible to have a structure to any talk that you give, like just things like not starting with, hi, I'm so-and-so in this talk, I'm going to talk about just like getting straight in with a story. Things like, you know, centering a talk around three relatable stories or anecdotes not putting text on your slides if you can possibly help it, <laughs> using images or video or even being prepared to talk without slides. One of my worst things that I, when I watch for somebody and I think it takes away from their authority is when they say, the perfect example actually is, do you remember during COVID, who's the health guy, the policy advisor to the government? If somebody says, and on my next slide, or the other thing yes. is when someone says, don't worry. Oh, yeah, I went to a university open day with my daughter and I was rolling my eyes because the guy who was giving this talk, which was actually great, you know, it was inviting us to, I don't think there's any problem saying it, Greenwich University. We were going to have a look around all the medical courses and things. And for the students and for me as well, it was potentially quite an exciting day. We were going to go and have a look around all the simulated stuff. And, you know, it was really exciting, all these great tech that they use. But the guy started by saying, don't worry, I won't keep you very long. Then he kept saying, don't worry, I've only got one more slide to go. Don't worry, I'm almost finished now. And you sort of think, how could you feel this is actually a really exciting opportunity. Greenwich University has got like cutting edge, like we all wanted to be paramedics, nurses and midwives by the end of that, <laughs> that event. But that first talk, it was just so unnecessary it was just like apologetic and I think that's the thing as well about had that guy opened with the story about when I first arrived this is what we had now we can simulate a full-on you know just tell us a story tell us about you know what's because the place was full of stories and I think it's just that it's just thinking about I think a lot of people are very apologetic and that really takes away from your authority and when you're using slides it and apologising for, for using them, and apologising and telling you people, don't worry, I've only got, well, why do that? Why not just plan a talk that's more interesting? Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, I think certainly some of the leaders that I've worked with in the past, and I've tried to persuade them away from the PowerPoint slides, it's definitely a bit, this is a bit of a niche reference, but it's like the Linus's blanket from um, the Peanuts. <laughs> they, it's their comfort blanket that yeah, they have to have. Yeah. And they're thinking about all this information they need to convey, not about what they want the people to get from the information. Yeah. And actually, the message really should be less is more. I used to do a lot of radio and TV training for, and I work with a lot of public sector organizations, but also charities and companies. And there's nothing like doing like a, a TV or radio interview to really focus you on that exact thing, because 
we'd say to people like, you'll be on for like, I don't know, a few minutes. You don't have time to do any more than get people to remember one thing that you said, like one key message, takeaway. And actually the best talks that I've seen, for example, are when people don't try and pack it with information. They just leave you with something to take away. There's a message and they leave you with something to go think about. Now, you know, there might be times when you're having to do a briefing and, you know, maybe you have to get impart some information, but just thinking about how you might do that, because I'm pretty sure, God, I can't even remember his name. That, that tells you it, the fact that I cannot even recall the name of this. Is it that Chris Whitty? That's it, yeah. <laughs> Who everyone loves, but I sort of, I remember watching that and thinking, I'm sure there's a more engaging way of doing this, which doesn't involve, but like you say, it's, it's a comfort blanket, but often we're actually, these are people who know their subject so well they are so expert, they're so credible, they don't need to rely on it. And actually, if they just planned less, if, if you plan to cover less and you just go, actually, my objective here is just that people take away a key message, like, you know, the Greenwich University example, my key takeaway from looking around was high-tech resources, simulation, robots, you know, mm. you know, if, if you remember one thing from that talk, we've got the most cutting-edge tech in the country or whatever, that's it, I'm sold. And I think Part of the problem with the comfort blanket is also about trying to pack too much content. So if you're planning a talk or you're doing a rapport or even in a meeting and maybe just finding alternative ways to convey that. So you don't have to stand in front of a PowerPoint, but that's bigger than the actual communication itself, isn't it? That's bigger than the yeah. actual talk or the meeting or whatever. That's, that's a bigger strategy thing, isn't it? Yeah. I was thinking as you were talking, one of the things I wanted to explore was whether there is a time and place that you should be using storytelling or whether it is an all-encompassing. But actually, some of these examples you've given from the national daily briefings we had during the pandemic to yeah. an, an open day at university just shows the breadth and variety that you can bring storytelling. And it is really something that can happen in any situation and scenario. Yeah. And actually... I think what I was trying to say at the beginning is it kind of annoys me when people say they're bringing in somebody to teach them storytelling, like it's an add-on. But actually, if you want to use storytelling effectively in a communication, it should be embedded through everything you do. So every communication that you send out, you're thinking, how can I basically show, not tell? Which again, as somebody from a journalism background, that's that's kind of what you're trained to do is to show, not tell, to get things across in the least way possible. But to give you another example, I'm, I'm all full of the university <laughs> open days at the moment. I went to another open day at a university where the communication was not quite so great. So one of the most memorable things from the Greenwich University example was the head of midwifery just gave this most inspiring talk, had no notes, no slides. The only prop she had was a baby with a some kind of model of a baby or something or a woman with a baby that gave birth or something I can't remember she had us standing up like she got us to stand up sit down I can't even remember what she got us to do but she had us moving but I wanted to be a midwife by the end of it and I I, that is like the last thing that I've ever wanted to be but she basically said at the start of the talk she said if you're in this room you're meant to be a midwife you're you've got a vocation and she said it's not the kind of thing and I agree she said it's, it's it's not the kind of thing that people generally just think they might try out. She said, you know, if, if you're in this room, you are a midwife. And even recording that to you, I've got like tingles because again, to be sat there with my daughter and this such an inspiring woman who was just speaking, she told us a little bit about her background, but not that much. She had one prop, this baby. She had us out of our seats doing things. 
I loved that lady and I thought I'd love my daughter to come here and study in this. I'm disappointed. I don't think she's going to go there. <laughs> I just, but I was so inspired by her because she was real and she inspired it. She had no, there were no PowerPoints. There was not a PowerPoint in sight. She just spoke and we could go and look it up or they could give us a handout or something. But that for me was an example of kind of threading the storytelling it was in some of the stuff there, but all of it. But yeah, for me, it's about every approach, every communication, just thinking, how can we, how can we make this accessible and interesting? And, and storytelling shouldn't be something that you do because somebody's come in and said, let's add some storytelling. It's, I think it's like a, a strategy or a culture, really, a culture where we think, how can we be more engaging and not bore each other <laughs> in everything we do? Can we make them visual? Like, you know, do we have to send out 60 page briefings? Like, are there different ways we can communicate that are more engaging and storytelling and examples? That's something that, just going off slightly on a tangent, but AI. So like, obviously I'm very interested in how people are using AI for communication and content. And I can really see the benefits, like chat GPT, GPT. (laughs) See, oh God, like it's it's late. I haven't had enough coffee yet. (laughs) Anyway, I can see the benefits and I've been experimenting and using it with like writing copy for people. And what I think it really helps with is structure. So say, for example, you've got to write a talk on a particular topic and it, you know, it might give you 10 bullet points or something and just get you from that blank page. What worries me partly is the style because that's not going to make it into engaging copy. Like mm. it's going to be boring and it's going to be stilted and without personality. The other thing that really bothers me is examples because it doesn't really give you examples. And if they are, they're not good examples. And all of us, I think, Obviously, people have got different learning styles and, and ways that they access information. But I think most of us, if someone tells us a story or gives us an example of how, you know, story te- threading storytelling through an, an organization could just be about how can we make sure that we're always using examples? We're not just, you know, how can we show somebody like the head of midwifery with a baby and the prop mm-hmm. and everything? It was, how can we show someone something? Even in training, when I'm tra- delivering training and maybe I'm mentoring someone else who's delivering training, I'll be like, instead of giving someone information, how can you help them to discover that for themselves? So, so instead of saying, this is what you need to learn, how can you set up that training or learning opportunity so that people are like, oh, right, okay. And that for me is storytelling as well. So instead of giving information, sharing case studies and saying and asking people, what did you notice about that? What was different about that? So, so storytelling for me isn't just about, hey, I'm going to have a talk that's got a story in it. Storytelling can also be about how you, even like if you're doing your annual report or you're, you know, instead of making it a boring annual report like everybody else does, how about doing something fun with case studies or, or yeah. um, how about telling personal stories or whatever? How much responsibility does a leader need to take in their own personal communications mm-hmm. and how they communicate and the, the style they communicate and the consistency and rhythm that they have? Mm-hmm. You know, of course, they can't be the communications team. You have a corporate communications team mm-hmm. for a reason. They've got a job and role to do to represent the organisation. But you've got a personal responsibility, particularly if you're chief exec or in that C-suite to think about how am I connecting the people who work for me, the people who use my services, the people in the communities I serve, that I connect them with the strategy that we're trying to achieve. And that can't be devolved to a corporate function because you're you've got to inspire and lead people. 
Yeah. And this is an interesting thing, which I've learned almost as a business owner, but also sort of translates the other way. But so if somebody was to approach me now, back in the old days, if someone, so I think I've got a really good example for you, but I better not name who it is. But if someone was to approach me and say, could you come and do some story, some work on our organization with storytelling? Could you come in and do a series of training days? I'd be like, I can, but I'm going to have to quote you to do some strategy work because what we really need to understand is that this is not a bolt on. It's, I would do the same with media training now as well. With media training, it's slightly different because you can give people skills that the next time, next week when they get called by Radio 4, you can. But even then, having to think about where it fits in and what to say yes to and no to, there's, there's a bigger piece of strategy work to do or, or certainly you might be able to help with. But actually, nowadays, I would probably say, well, yes, I can do that. But what I would need to do first is a piece of work to see where this is going to fit in elsewhere. Because what we don't want to do is for me to come in and deliver some training and then everyone goes, oh, but story of tell trick training. And then the CEO starts telling everyone they have to do it. But actually, there's no strategy for how that's going to be disseminated, like how, you know, creating, like you said, that almost like that line between line of communication, which documents are you going to do in it? Because you can't do it all at once, can't you? If you decided you're going to thread storytelling through everything. You know, and oh, right now we have to in every report. Actually, that probably needs to be a phase thing, doesn't it? So, well, actually, well, we'll start with this, these types, you know, maybe we'll start with our newsletter external, maybe then we'll start, you know. So, actually, it's like a three year plan, isn't it? If you're going to do something like embedding storytelling, that's a whole change. And it's not something that can just be fixed in a a couple of days. The example I've got, which is slightly off said, but it's kind of, it's about, which I think happens in public sector organizations sometimes and not for profits investing in something without thinking about the biggest strategy mm. piece and like top down. So I try to think about it being diplomatic now. <laughs> you know, I, I was approached to turn up and do some copywriting training for, it, was a, it just happened to be a university. And it's brilliant. They went to book me for like loads of it. And it was like writing for the web. And I was like, yeah, great. That sounds good. When I got there, oh my God, I was greeted by a load of angry people who Basically, what this university had done is they'd hired an advertising agency to make a style guide and brand guidelines, probably cost a lot of money. And they'd decided that all non-communication staff were now going to have to upload their own content to the website. (laughs) And they hadn't communicated that to anybody. You know, I only was realizing this as I was there in the middle of it and people were angry with me and I was I don't even work here. And so they paid for me to do this training, teaching people how to write for the web. People didn't know that they were suddenly going to be required to, and with writing as well, communication, people can get quite self-conscious. And so I had all these angry people with pitchforks who were really angry, also about the amount of money that had clearly been spent on this advertising agency. And it seemed to me like that bigger piece hadn't been done. It's like, okay, right, well, we're making this change. It was probably an efficiency decision. We're making this change. And it is going to impact the people in the organization. How are we going to implement that? And what's the strategy going to be? And how are we going to make a case for this, for why this is a good idea and and reassure people? And again, I feel like that's the thing with storytelling. It's one of those things that you could just go, hey, this will be really fun. And let's have some fun learning about this thing. But actually, unless you're really thinking about how that's going to be implemented into your organization, how the leadership's going to, what's the word I'm looking for, champion that or Mm -hmm. lead on that, it's not going to work or it's even going to upset people <laughs> like in that example it's one of the things that you've I suppose really majored on I've noticed over the last year is this almost and, and you've you've said it 
I think in this interview about like less is more. So you don't you don't encourage people to talk for talking's sake. You position the story in line with delivering strategy. That's the thing that's that drives the types of stories that that you tell. If a leader is thinking about their personal strategy and and what that content strategy to connect people to to their business strategy I suppose is where's their starting point how do they something I've been thinking about well not thinking about I've actually been creating content about is thought leadership content and because I think sometimes people who are successful and in leadership positions they can almost be a bit sniffy about content and say oh you know those funny influencers going on TikTok or LinkedIn or the one I often hear is like Oh, telling people they had a banana for breakfast, which I don't think anyone would ever do anyway. But I, could, I almost feel I can be a bit of a snobbery about content. And actually in being snobby about it and thinking it's all fluff, you're missing a really good opportunity to connect with people. So I encourage people to think that this is an opportunity for thought leadership and it's an opportunity to show up and connect with people. But actually be to do thought leadership, you have to, you have to be thoughtful. You have to think about what it is that you you know you're not just randomly firing off stuff you actually think about what it is that you want to convey and so I started to think about how if I was going to because I kind of think I know what that is but if I was going to almost like try and break it down and get somebody to understand how to come up with a thought leadership strategy rather than just a content strategy showing up it it actually again requires a bit of strategy work to think about well what you know what what is it I want to show up as a personal brand because also I think that leaders of companies they are a personal brand whether they like it or not and yeah people will make a decision even things like I I, I had to won't go into this but I had to make a, a complaint to a an NGO which has been quite ongoing and it went up to chief exec level and the fact I got a personal reply from the, there's a lot there's a lot that's not good in the organization but getting a personal reply from the chief exec that sort of stuff is strategic isn't it because it's like okay you didn't have to reply to me but clearly that's their 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 policy and that's a personal brand thing, isn't it? You know, am I the kind of chief exec that at a certain point I will send an email to somebody and acknowledge them, even if I'm not personally dealing with it, you know, those sort of things. So the things that, that there's four areas that I would think about. So the first one is expertise. So, do, you know, what expertise you have and getting that across. People are normally okay with that because they, you know, they're normally, they, they do have expertise in something and, you know, they, they do know about their organization and, or their sector or whatever. Um, the next one, so I think having expertise is not enough. So you can be you can be really knowledgeable about something. You can have written all the books, all the papers. You can be amazing, but you're still boring as hell. So so that on its own isn't enough, you know. So so you do need to demonstrate expertise. The bit that really makes a difference for me is well, there's a few bits. So is that when you're showing up online, either speaking or you're publishing content, that you're demonstrating the ability to to give insights or analysis or to um to actually you've got something to say like you you, you that you're and to be a thought leader I always think about as leadership so somebody that I would follow online a personal brand you know a chief exec would be somebody who's showing me what I need to care about you know in the next you know these, here's some really interesting things we need to be looking at these are some things that perhaps we need to be cautious about Somebody who isn't just spouting off corporate jargon at me. And you see so many chief execs that think 
getting online is just re- retweeting or resharing content that the, the kind of corporate organization is doing and actually it's more than that isn't it it's adding your own commentary on top of it yeah and obviously I absolutely understand all the challenges around that which is why this needs strategy you need to sit down and go okay like let's have a think about some of the topics that I feel okay that I feel I can add analysis on think about let's have a think about some topics maybe where I don't I don't want to go or you know I don't want to get involved in that conversation but it is a choice and, and you're in control. But yeah, if you're just retweeting stuff, like who cares? And how is that showing that you're a leader? You're not demonstrating any kind of leadership. So for me, it's about some kind of an- analysis insight. It can, and it can be really just pointing people. I hear some really interesting things I've thought about that government report or, you know, that this is going to be discussed in Parliament today. This is really interesting because, you know, there is a way to do this. I think people always think that you you can't do this without getting yourself in hot water. There are actually mm. ways that you can do this where you're just saying, hey, this is really interesting, worth a look. And someone who's interested in the, the sector or it's funny because my, I'm trying to think about how to be diplomatic now, but somebody I know is working for an organization that's just got a new chief exec in the kind of sports arena. And, and I would expect somebody like that to be talking about sport and what's happening in sport, perhaps not engaging in some of the more, the more kind of controversial parts of it, but actually even so, like it does need to be thought about because there are some quite, you know, if it matters to their staff or communities, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It should be. But I think a lot of people, like you say, just retweeting, not willing to share any kind of views on anything or any insights. The other thing as well, I mean, and most organisations will have this, is about values. So actually, and I think obviously an organisation will have its values as an organisation. But what about that chief exec? Like there will be things that that chief exec perhaps particularly cares about, you know, or particularly has strong values about. And that might be something that's really part of their personal brand. You know, if in their spare time, I don't know, they really committed to the environment and they're going off at weekends or whatever and doing things, you know, to or, or maybe animal cruelty or I don't know. You know but, but, but actually not just... Not just saying, here's a picture of me walking my dog at the weekend, but actually just thinking really carefully, what, what are some of the things that that I do that are me, the books I read, the things I do in my spare time, you know, the the things that I support, which I could be sharing, talking about, that give people a bit more of an insight into me, but also align with the with the company's values and, you know, that this can be done. Yeah. Um, but it just involves strategy and it involves sitting down with the communications teams. I often find as well, I just say that, I sometimes think that leaders should have a lot more respect for communications and media teams and for their expertise. And, and a, a problem, I think, can be that they think they know better and they, they don't. And treating that department as their expert partner and actually they can help you. Like they know how to help you navigate this stuff and they're at the other end of the phone, like use them. And so I think there's that sort of side of it as well. The other part of it is is credibility, which I think organizations, some organizations do really well. But if you're saying, you know, we're the leader in whatever or we're, you know, well, show us, you know, show us in your content, like show us why you've got the best tech in that sector for that subject area or whatever. Like share with us some case studies or some testimonials we, we can actually understand because they're written in plain language or, you know, tell us that story about the lady in the toilet seat or whatever. I would love to see, like you you mentioned about chief execs, you know, I, I want to see if they've been out to... To, to visit people in a project to see how things are going. Well, you know, I want to hear about that. Mm. If they've been 
at a meeting with other vice chancellors and they've been talking about something important or they've been you know in, they're involved in some policy whatever that's thought leadership that's but but I think that there's a, there's very few chief execs that I can think of that do that or even leaders you know you know they're they're terrified and but does that kind of does that sort of line up with your experience I think so and, and your point around credibility is a really in, interesting and, and key one because I think we see this with things like um, diversity and inclusion and other initiatives where it is, feels really tokenistic and they might issue a statement or say, you know, I'm supporting this day. And then they don't do anything else to show during the year mm. that actually they're demonstrating their integrity of, of taking action. And I think that yeah. can be a real challenge for, for some organisations. I think those four, the four points you've given around how do you demonstrate thought leadership are really important. I talk a lot with the clients I work with around how do you build, I call it your leadership brand. Mm. Um, because people do feel like personal brand can feel a bit like I'm going to be a TikTok influencer. <laughs> um, mm. But the leadership brand is how you get your next job. It's how yeah. you get the promotion in your organisation or how you stand out from the crowd of other people. It's it's that mm. thing that differentiates you. And if you're not being strategic in how you focus on that, then no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just think a lot of it is there is a lot of fear. And I understand this fear about saying the wrong thing or being cancelled or whatever. But actually, mm -hmm. most organisations, they've got a comms team, they've got media team, they've got people who have experience in crisis comms who are just at the other end of the phone, like who will be there to advise and and also to help you. When you make mistakes, you know, I've, I think about this from my journalism days, it's, it's usually things that are not f thought through. If you've really thought to yourself, okay, so... Mm. These are the things I want to talk about. These are the things that actually I don't think are relevant. You know, you, you've got your guidance, if you see what I mean about, but but, but I think often yeah. I'm not even going there. And, and obviously it's beneath me, like all oh, those. And, and I made a point the other day that about my own personal values, because I've been thinking about this a lot and I've run some training. I was like, you know, I'm more concerned with impact than being important, if you see what I mean. So yeah, if your focus is on, I want to make impact both personally, but also as the organisation, and and that's the lens that you think about what you're going to share and how you're going to share it. How could anyone think that you're just trying to be important? <laughs> you know, in like, if your focus is okay, well, when when I do share or comment or whatever, it's I want to be making an impact. I'm not just here to be important or to be famous or whatever. Like that side of it, I think is important as well. It, well, that goes to the point you made at the very beginning around this authenticity. So if you truly believe in something and it's it's core to your values and the things that you want to challenge and champion, then it's going to come across authentically when you talk about it. Mm. If you're doing it because you think you need to be seen to be doing it, people yeah. aren't going to buy in and then they're not going to trust you. So that's, again, it goes to your core strategy, your values mm. and how they work in harmony with each other. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, I do see in particular with not-for-profits and, and also public sector, the, there's a lot of pressure at the moment, I think, to think a certain way and to hold a certain line but actually I feel like there's an opportunity there for for people to be brave and people to kind of stand out a little bit more but that's probably a whole other conversation yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if someone's listening to this and thinks that actually they need to be doing more of this in their day-to-day -day leadership it's a gap that they want to try and lean into and, and close a little bit what what would you say was the 
ingredients to help them think through how they start to incorporate storytelling and thinking more strategically around how they connect it to what they're doing in the day-to-day. Something I often recommend people do, and this is regardless of what they do, if they're kind of like, how does this visibility thing work? Like, why is it that that CEO, everybody follows them and everyone engages them? Like, go and look at what is it they're doing, what they're talking about, and maybe benchmark them against this, you know, expertise, analysis, social proof or credibility and values. Like, what is it? And, And actually analyze them and have a look what is it they're doing what are they talking about why do people show up and listen to what this person has to say and you will start to see this isn't vanilla you know these are people who've got they've got something to say they've got insights they've got opinions but they're generally not stupid you know they're they're not just throwing out anything they're showing up authentically but also they're it's strategic. It's being thought through. But the other thing I would say, I mean, if you're working in an organisation, is to use your media or comms professionals and to really mind their expertise. A lot of teams will have really experienced people, but also that some of them will have ex-journalists who, you know, and they've got so much that they can bring to help to help you with this. And books, you know, if you're working in an organisation and you've got the resources there, if not, invest in. I would recommend investing in booking out some time to take a couple of days out and just to go and actually really think this through. And and also, I think there's a business case for this in terms of the organisation, because if your CEO is somebody who is a thought leader and people follow, they want to hear what they've got to say, they want to invite them to the parliamentary dues, they want to get them involved on steering groups and working parties in the government or whatever it might be, you know, whatever you're... This is worth investing in. It's worth investing time because... The impact in terms of things like if you're a public sector organization or you're a charity funding, like this stuff is important, you know, mm. and, and it's not silly. Like I've been working on a project recently, which is to do with winning awards. I have to say before I, before I started doing it, I was thinking, what's the point of winning? You know, I was, I was actually kind of thinking, it seems like a lot of effort. And what I've learned through that experience is, but actually being a, an awards judge or being, you know, in that kind, it's the connections, it's the, mm. it's the network that you're building. But actually, this does need some thinking through and it needs some some time. You know, it's 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 the kind of thing that you probably need to go away and have an away day, an away with your team or whatever. But the key thing is that it isn't just something that's talked about for two days. It's actually turns into a strategy and you get help where you need it. On a practical level, I don't know what you think, Lee, but I probably wouldn't just advise a CEO just to kind of jump on and start posting like, you know, I would definitely recommend just some thinking time and some expert advice and some strategic advice. I don't think people should be afraid, but I think one of the things that makes you less afraid is having done that planning, the strategy, that expert support. My final question is, what's the one bit of advice about content strategy, leadership strategy, storytelling that you would love every leader to pay attention to? Well, is it I've had two? So the first one I've already alluded to is, is um, kind of embedding a culture where you're always, where communicating clearly, where communication and finding ways to communicate everything that you do is a priority, even if you have to bring it in stages, even if it's something that you have to do in a three or five year plan is that bringing storytelling or bringing things to life is something I feel that you should be part of your long term plan to, to bring that on board. It's not an add on. Yeah. So the first one is about just really giving this the attention that it it deserves. And instead of making it a bolt on, how can we embed 
not storytelling itself, but the spirit behind storytelling, which is about being authentic, which is about being relatable. How can you make this more relatable to people so that people actually read it? Yeah. And that might be about going out and finding an example, but it might be, there might be another way. It might be reducing it by half, or it might be like publishing a short summary and not making people read something that long. You know, it's about how can we make it more relatable? How can we make it feel more authentic? So I think that's probably the key thing. I think I've actually forgotten what the other one was. Which is really helpful, isn't it? But that's probably quite authentic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that, that would be the other thing, actually, is that probably is, is about not being afraid not to be perfect. Like, because yeah. I think a lot of leaders in all walks of life, they're so afraid of like not doing everything perfectly. And actually, one of the things that can really help people relate to you and connect with you is not being perfect, is getting to the end of an interview and forgetting what you were asked or whatever. And saying sorry as well when you've got things wrong. Um, apologizing to people when you when you got things wrong, I think that can huge, huge impact because perfection can be quite intimidating. It can also make you feel quite removed from people, and it's harder for people to connect with you if they think you're just this person in an ivory tower who never gets anything wrong, or if they do, doesn't ever own up to it or whatever. And just thinking about how you can turn up all the things that are you. So I think a lot of chief execs they tend to think I don't know they might have interests or pets or holidays or whatever and they think oh all of that's just like nobody's interested in that actually that's the part that everybody probably is really quite interested in or the fact that you've I don't know you've just bought a caravan or something actually people are interested in that stuff and as long as you've thought it through and you've thought about how that fits into your brand and you're not just like you know firing off stuff willy-nilly People want to know about you. They want to know about the person. And, and I think leaning into that more and not being afraid of it, I think, would be the other thing. Yeah. I mean, you, you said this right in the beginning, but showing that you're human, I think, is yeah. really important to build that connection and that trust. And I think to your point about not being perfect, I think that's such an important thing because I think if you are striving for perfection and only demonstrating when things go right, you are actually creating a closed culture in your organisation where people will be feel fearful of failure and fearful yeah. of speaking up when things go wrong and all of that. So actually you're having a detrimental effect on the organisational impact if you're only showing you in yeah. the most perfect light. And also there's one last thing about saying sorry is if you are going to say sorry, but you have to be authentic with saying sorry. Like you see organisations and they mess up and how they deal with it. And you can tell when they're not really sorry. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And you can tell when they don't really think they've messed up, but they feel they've got to, you know. So sometimes being authentic can be about not saying you're sorry as well. You know, yeah, they're going to be about yeah. saying, no, we're not sorry. I was really impressed by a university that backed a member of staff who resigned and said, we, we don't think this person should have resigned. Like, this is what we feel universities are about. I, I have huge respect for that because that's authentic. It might not sit with everybody, but again, if the organization knows who they are, what their values are, and that's aligned with the leader, that makes you really strong, I think. Yeah, yeah, completely. Well, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved having uh, this discussion. If people want to connect with you online and get more of your advice and, and guidance, where can they get in touch or follow you? I think for listeners of this podcast, I think LinkedIn is probably, so just Janet Murray on LinkedIn. I do have a website, janetmurray.co.uk, but LinkedIn might be a good place to start. Perfect. And I'll put all the details in the show notes. 
Thank you again for your time. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please let me know on Apple Podcasts or on the app of choice and drop me a line over on LinkedIn. You can find me at Nee Griffith. I'll be back with the next episode in two weeks time. So in the meantime, remember to sign up to my newsletter at sundayskies.com for further insights on how to lead with impact. Until next time.